everyone welcome to game over montreal episode two we are two for two for losses for the montreal canadians they are not off to an inspiring start to the year i've got some exciting guests to join me on this uh, buffalo sabers edition of the show brock mcgillis and Dwayne steinel i'm gonna welcome them in right now how's it going boys uh real quick be sorry to cut everybody off but i just want to start off by going Ole, 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 ole. I'm sorry, that's probably the only time we'll be able to celebrate like like this all season. So I'm gonna get it while I can. All right, so I'm I'm already seeing some people say that the sound is super quiet. So I've turned up my mic. We had some issues on the last podcast where my sound was super high because it's coming straight from my mic and. The sound from the guests was super low because it's the lower quality Zoom audio, which is already equalized. And we had a lot of white noise on my mic from my computer fan. So definitely tell me if the mic needs to be turned up more. I've turned it up a little bit more and I've got a filter on now through the streaming software where it should be better. Yeah, okay. I'm seeing people say much better now. So hopefully you can hear me well. Hopefully everybody sounds relatively similar. Uh if I need to adjust the audio so that everyone is around the same, please tell me. I'm watching this stream chat, and I appreciate it. Everyone who's coming on and watching after that horrible game by the Montreal Canadiens. I appreciate you. I appreciate you sticking around, not going to bed. So I think because they deserve it, we got to start talking about the Buffalo Sabres. The, the Montreal Canadiens don't deserve to be the first people we talk about today. Yeah, um, you know... I was talking about it uh, yesterday on our season preview show for two goalies and Mike. And I, 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 one of the things I said was, you know, they're not going to be that talented, but one thing will be for sure, because you have a lot of players on this roster who have something to prove. Um, they're going to be hard to play against. Uh, you saw a lot of shades of that with Don Granado and his system that he began to implement at the end of last season. Um, and so I fully expected him with a full off season to really, you know, bring that full circle coming into this year, but I was not repeat not expecting to blow the blow the doors out uh the way we did tonight uh against the Montreal Canadiens that was absolutely wild I, I don't know even I don't know what to do with myself can I just say one thing though Andrew absolutely um uh, I I'm just impressed that you found a Buffalo Sabres fan <laughs> <laughs> like I didn't know there were any you're the fan you're yeah, the well, one fan to this be is fair. a treat <laughs> this is an honor for me. I've never met one. I've never been I've heard of one. It, I thought it was like like the Loch Ness monster, like like one of those mythical things. Uh, listen, the Buffalo, the Buffalo Sabres, the hockey market in Buffalo is one of the best in the league. And I know. you know, granted, in the last decade, we haven't had much to cheer about, but we do love hockey and we do stay loyal to this team for some reason. I'm not really too sure why. <laughs> Massacre. We stay. We st- We stay. Yeah, we we enjoy the pain. I guess that we enjoy the pain. Um. I, you know, one of the biggest issues last season with this team was they were never prepared from the puck drop, the first puck drop. Like they were never ready to go. And that was the most, I think one of the most evident things in tonight is they were prepared. They were ready. 
And that you know, you saw that uh, in spades tonight ran all three zones of the ice. Yeah, it was uh, it was one team was prepared here and we have to give props to Don Granado for the way that they prepare because uh, you look at the way that Ma- uh, sorry, not the Maple Leafs, the way the Canadians started against the Maple Leafs and it was a lot of quick transition plays through the neutral zone, very aggressive checking in the neutral zone, which is basically the Canadian style of play. Uh, they like to create turnovers in the neutral zone. It's what helped work for them really well in the playoffs last year. I think that Granado studied some tape because they were so ready. Uh, all first period long, you could see that the Canadians were doing those aggressive pinches on Buffalo Sabres in the neutral zone. They would make one little deke to beat the player, then they were out of the play, and one pass, and it was two-on-one after two-on-one after two-on-one. Not all necessarily breaks, but like two-on-ones in space, right? So you beat a player, and you've got a two-on-one down low. You're creating odd man situations, and it led to a killer first period for the Buffalo Sabres, and they just didn't really let up momentum throughout the game. I think as much as Granado is the story for how well-prepared his team was tonight, Kyle Ocpozo is a big story tonight too, because this is the Kyle Ocpozo that we haven't seen in a very long time. He's had so many health issues that that he's had to deal with. If this is the player that the Buffalo Sabres got back, that's a guy who's actually earning his salary. He was incredible tonight. You know, Kyle Ocpozo has been a guy that's received a lot of criticism from me, especially. Um, I've been a big advocate of just kind of him because of the injuries, uh, especially, you know, he's dealt with a lot of concussion issues, uh, maybe hanging him up because, I mean, at at some point in your career, you really got to think about like your life after hockey. But I think that, I think tonight was the best game I've ever seen Kyle Ocposo play as a Buffalo Sabre throughout the entirety of this contract. Um, you, You mentioned, you know, you know, Buffalo being able to uh, defeat that aggressive play in the neutral zone. And we talked about it earlier. Uh, one, one, one play that stood out was Bayak post. I forget who it was. He towed a guy uh, coming out of the neutral zone who, you know, like you said, they, they were playing a very aggressive style. He, he, he floated a pass over Eakin for a great scoring chance, but the, you were not, you're right. Like they were able to create small area, odd man rushes two on ones in small areas to create a lot of scoring chances and create a lot of havoc in front of the net uh, for Montreal. They were winning all the puck battles, man. Like that's another thing that stuck out to me is they play their best when like, you know, when they're constantly moving in transition Uh, you know, they didn't, they they weren't playing a slow game, you know, uh, their passes were crisp Um, North South hockey. It looked phenomenal. And like I said, that is the best I've seen this team play probably since their 10 game win streak two seasons ago. Yeah, it, it's it's fun to watch when when teams can get things together like that. I'm excited to see if the Buffalo Sabres can kind of keep this going as the season goes on because it's a tough thing to get a team like this to consistently buy in. And Granado's done it before. Uh, he's had teams put things together that maybe people didn't expect. He's a he's a decent coach, you know, and a guy that is a very very much a player's coach and maybe not selling snake oil as much as uh, the last guy was. But uh, yeah, that's snake charmer. Yeah, I know. So we, we got to talk a little bit about the Buffalo Sabres tonight and uh, especially Granado and what drove them success wise. Uh, I think they leaned into their skill a lot more than they have in recent years. They allowed their players to make some skill plays in the offensive zone. There was so much dangling in this game. Like, yeah, Tage Thompson was dangling all over the place and he's got reach, you know, like he can do that. But 
the the skill flashes that he's always shown in his career haven't really come to fruition at the NHL level. It looks like maybe there's potential for that to happen this year. Absolutely. You know, Tage is a big kid um, and he's been here for a few years now. And I, I hand it to him, man. There's a lot of pressure being the, 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 the centerpiece, I guess, of that Ryan O'Reilly trade. There's a lot of pressure on him, especially with the way that all turned out for Buffalo the following season. It couldn't have turned out worse. And uh, you know, there's a lot of pressure on that kid. And, you know, I, you know, I, I, I didn't hate it when they first announced that they were going to move him to center because he's a big guy, you know, you know, that's what you want in your prototypical centerman. You want a big centerman who's got good hands and good playmaking ability. But the, you know, the, the thing that's been, you know, irritating about him is he always overhandles the puck. He never uses his size and it was night and day tonight. You know, he didn't overhandle too much. Um, he was using his size. Like you said, that reach, his ability to use his body to protect the puck. You saw it all night. Every single time he was, every single time he was on the ice, on the power play, he's sitting in that spot that normally Jack Eichel sits in. And, you know, guy has, he, you know, Tage has a cannon. He, and he let it go a couple times. You know, things are, things. Like, I know it's just one game. It's 60 minutes, but things are starting to click for him, it seems. And, people expected for years for him to kind of break out, right? Like uh, people were every year seemed to think he'd be a guy. And so it was only a matter of time if he, you know, did put it together with, with that tool set that he does have. So, but maybe the best offseason move they made was not letting Eichel have that surgery. You know, look, look at Tage. Well, I wouldn't go that far. I wouldn't go that far. far. (laughs) We'll see what they get back in the eventual Eichel trade before we make that bold take there, bro. (laughs) Stirring the pot. I'm sorry. I came on. Oh, it's fine, man. Listen, that's that's just been the headline for us all offseason. Ever since he made those statements in the end of season interviews, him and you know, the thing of it was is not to get off the subject of the game, but People forget that Sam Reinhart came on, I think it was either right before him possibly, and said flat out, said, yeah, I don't want to be here for another rebuild. And that was the second most important forward on your team. He 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 said something more damning at the time than I think than Eichel. Eichel is just obviously the more polarizing player. Um, but, you know, with that being said, you know, with everything that's kind of this black cloud that's floated over this organization for the last six months, man, um, to see these kids come out and play the way they did under a new coach in a new system, a, a coach that, you know, you know, the biggest issue with Ralph Kruger was he tried to force players to play within his system when it was clear as day, not working. He, he, he wasn't a willing to adjust his system. He was just sticking to it. Um, you know, I, I like it, it, it was really mind numbing to see Chef Skinner, 40 goal score playing on the third and fourth line. And under Granado, he he recognizes the skill set of these players and he puts them in the best position to succeed and to you know play well. And the best coaches adapt to what they have, yes. right? They, Absolutely. It's, it's always frustrating me when I've seen coaches like be so stubborn. It bites them. It always bites them. You know, like I mean, where's Ralph coaching now? Yeah, exactly. All right, we're going to move on from Buffalo because this is a Montreal Canadiens show, and unfortunately, we can't spend the whole time talking about the team that won. Uh, I'm the uh, mods here mentioning the artwork behind me. Yeah, this is new. This is going to be the new backdrop for Game Over, uh, Montreal edition. This is art by Dave Murray from. He's actually a Toronto-based artist, but a Montreal Canadiens fan. He's done tons of great art. I actually have a couple of his pieces in my house. 
uh, that are framed and in behind glass, but we can't put glass behind on the with the lighting, right? It'll be too much glare. Those are pretty cool. Yeah, they're really cool. Got Ken Dryden and Nick Suzuki here behind me. You know, some of the old and some of the new. I thought that was some a pretty cool mix. But yeah, so the Montreal Canadiens, two games in. I think it's probably a little bit early to talk about a pattern, but both games have had something that I've noticed very apparent, and that is when the Canadians are starting to generate momentum, and that happened in the second period here against Buffalo, first period against Toronto, all of a sudden, they start taking dumb penalties, and everything vanishes. All the momentum that they had, all the ability to get things going, it just goes away immediately, and against Toronto, they didn't give up too much on the power play. Uh, They had the one goal right after a power play expired. Against Buffalo... PK was terrible. <laughs> they, they just got ripped apart, and that was the game. You know, like at a certain point in the second period when they scored a goal and it was just 2 1, it started to feel like maybe this game was in, re- in reach for the Montreal Canadiens. You're like, okay, they are on paper the better roster. Maybe they can turn this thing around. But the penalty trouble is just such a serious problem. And Ben Sherratt in particular, this is a player that I look at, and I've been saying for years, is heavily overrated by the Montreal Canadiens and perhaps some fans and writers, but mostly the Montreal Canadiens internally. I think they made a big mistake not moving Ben Chirot this summer when there was that huge run on big physical defensemen in the UFA market. They could have got a a lot of uh, return for him because people are going to figure out pretty fast that he was riding Shea Weber's coattails. Yeah, um, you know, when you when you think it, when when you mention Sherratt, the first name that pops into my head, being a being a Sabres fan, is Rasmus Dalinen, a big physical defenseman who really never reached his potential here in Buffalo. I, I wish him all well, you know, very all the all the best in uh, Philadelphia. But you know, I, I saw that a lot in Sherratt's game. I've seen it, you know, for a while. And like you said, he, you know, he, you know, not having Shea Weber there. And you guys, you guys had a really rough off season, obviously with the news with Shea Weber missing this next season, uh, you know, speculations that his career might be over. And then obviously, you know, the news of Carey Price, you know, having to step away from the game, you know, may he get better, be well, and, uh, you know, you know, put your mental health first, you know, for first and foremost, but um, that's seeing, you know, not having honestly those two anchors on your team, you know, severely hurts your team as a whole because those are two huge leaders in that in, on on the Montreal Canadiens. To your Sharat uh, point, like how's that guy in your top four? Well, that's that, the like, issue when you only have yeah. one top four defenseman on your roster, yeah. right? I mean, Joel Edmondson's yeah. injured right now, and Jeff Petrie's the only established guy. But they really need Romanov to take a step. You know what I mean? And, and like for Sherrod to be playing top four minutes and like you're in trouble, <laughs> like it's yeah. regardless of how they view him, if they love him in the lineup, if they see, you know, character guy, great in the room, blah, blah, blah. Um, if he's playing top four minutes, you're, you're in trouble and it's going to be a long season. Well, and that's the thing under Ducharme in the regular season last year, Sherrod was actually their highest minute defenseman. Now, you could argue that they were kind of resting Weber down the stretch and resting Petrie down the stretch and prep for the playoffs, but Ducharme loves this guy. And the box-out physical stuff, they, the Canadians love that, especially in the playoffs when you can get away with it a little bit more. But every time I watch Sherratt try to get physical, that's when he plays the worst. He's at his best when he tries to play within himself and he doesn't take big risks to lay the body on guys. And 
not only does he get himself out of position and allow himself to be scored on, but he also takes really bad penalties, like the shorthanded penalty in this game to put the Sabres up on a 5-on-3. It's just, he's a frustrating guy to watch, and I think he's going to be one of those guys that by the end of the year, if you don't realize he's a net negative, you're not making the playoffs. And I think the way that this team is constructed, the difficulties they've had to deal with over the offseason, and even starting this year, you know, Carey Price is out in the player assistance program, recovering from a surgery. Uh, Mike Hoffman is out short term. Joel Edmondson is out. They've got some serious injuries to contend with to start the year, but they can't afford to be dropping games against teams that they have to beat because they are very clearly the fifth best team in that division. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry, Brock. Go ahead. No, it's, it's, you know, those, those are the must wins, right? You look at, um, I look at baseball, you look at the Tampa Bay Rays who might be the Montreal Rays soon. Um, they won, they went 17 and one against uh, Baltimore and that won them the division. You know, everyone else lost more games to Baltimore and guess what? They, you know, the, the Jays didn't make the playoffs because of it. Um, you have to beat the teams that you have to beat because it comes back when you look back at the end of the season and you go, you look at all the games, the wins and losses and you go, ah, oh, shoot, we, we should have won those ones. Yeah. And if you take those early, you set yourself up and you build momentum. Yeah. And, you know, stacking points, it never goes away, you know? those early season games where maybe you, you think you have time to figure it out. If you win those ones, they give you that cushion at the end of the year. And the Canadians have actually been a team that does hot starts for the most part or over the last few years, but, uh, and then they kind of fade away during the regular season. Maybe we'll see the opposite this year, but I think for what I was looking at with the Canadians is I gave Dominic Ducharme a lot of room last year when he took over because with COVID, there wasn't a lot of practice. Uh, he couldn't really institute a system. It was a compressed schedule. All these things working against him, and they went on that Cinderella run to the playoffs. I don't think coaching necessarily was a big reason why that happened. I think that was there was a lot of luck involved. There was a lot Carey of Carey Price. Price being unreal involved. Some really nice uh, scoring that uh, was came from unexpected sources. Timely. Yeah, very timely scoring. And like there was some coaching, don't get me wrong. Their top 4D played a very consistent style of just keep everything they could possibly keep to the outside, protect that net front, try to not let passes through the middle, and they did a decent job of that, especially against the Vegas Golden Knights. But overall, I don't think it was necessarily Dom Ducharme who was behind that. And I was expecting, you know, like, this guy is supposed to be a young, forward-thinking coach so with training camp to get everything ready, let's see some interesting stuff. And we haven't really seen it yet. And obviously it's two games in. you got to give a little bit of time for things to develop, to marinate. And every team does have bad games. Like We're talking here about the Canadians losing 5-1 to the Buffalo Sabres on the same night the Maple Leafs went down 3 nothing against the, the Ottawa Senators and tried to climb back in the third period, made it 3-2, but ultimately failed. The Tampa Bay Lightning are 0-2 to start the season, dropping games against the Pittsburgh Penguins with without uh, Sidney Crosby or Evgeny Malkin, and now against the Detroit Red Wings tonight. I believe if that game's not over, it, it, they were losing. Bertuzzi had a hat-trick, I believe. Yeah, Tyler Bertuzzi had a hat-trick. So, like, 
crazy things do happen. Good teams lose games that they're supposed to win, but it's not just about a win or a loss. It's how the game is played. And you talk about things that are patterns, you know, going back three, four, five, six seasons now, the Montreal Canadiens special teams continue to fail them. And to that point, I think two things. So when you brought up Tampa, um, there's sometimes a letdown after you go on a long run coming into the next year, right? Uh, yeah, you don't Dallas. have as bit of a hangover, yeah. Yeah, you don't have as much time to recover from injuries and then train and all that. So sometimes it takes a little longer to get into the groove, which could be the case here. And also, um, and I'm not making excuses for the Montreal Canadiens because I'd rather make fun of the Montreal Canadiens tonight. Um, but they're on a back-to-back for the first time this season, which, which could impact it. And, but I will say this. I, I saw that, a penalty kill in the third, and um, it was the most passive thing I've ever seen in my life. And yep. I just did not anticipate that from a team like this, I thought they'd, they'd have a more aggressive style on the PK, and it ate them up. Yeah, yeah and talk about passive. The power play is incredibly passive. The second straight game where they've had a five-on-three, which is not a common thing to have five-on-threes in multiple games, like in, in two games in a row. And second straight game where they their alignment on the five-on-three is to have three guys in parallel down low, and then two guys at the point that just kind of pass the puck back and forth until someone takes a point shot. There's no movement, no nothing. And that lack of creativity, like it's, it's tough to harp on the power play so much. Cause you know that most scoring still happens at even strength and the Canadians have been typically a strong, even strength team over the last several years, but I'm not, I'm not seeing anything happening on the power play that tells me that they know what they're doing or that they have a solid plan and so far, they've got, I believe, three shot attempts in about two full minutes of five-on-three power play time over the last two games. And every single one of them came from Jeff Petrie up high. And that's just not a recipe for, for success. Jeff Petrie is a good shooter, especially for a defenseman, right? But he shouldn't be the guy that you're going to. You should be going like backdoor to Cole Caulfield or Tyler Toffoli. It doesn't make any sense what they're doing. And that comes down to coaching to me because if it's about personnel... No offense to the Buffalo Sabres, but their power play shouldn't have looked that good, right? Their power play looked great tonight. If it's, a, if it's just about talent, then the Montreal Canadiens should not be this bad. I, I agree with you there, Andrew. Uh, you know, special teams was definitely the story of this game. Um, you know, Buffalo did, did everything they wanted at will uh, when they had the power play. The, like I said, they, you know, they're passing. The passes were a little bit uncontested. Um, they had their way in front of the net. They won every battle in front of the, in front of your net. Yep. Um, and another thing too, uh, going back to goaltending and, you know, Brock, I know you being a goalie too. Uh, you might want to speak to this, me being a goalie. Um, you know, I understand back to backs, you know, you want You want to try and keep your goaltenders fresh, but I would have loved to have seen as a Montreal fan, Jake Allen in there tonight. I mean, I understand again, back to backs, they can be tough, 
but there's no reason I get it. It's the Buffalo Sabres. Throw your backup goalie in there, you know, AHL team, yada, yada, yada. But I, you should have had Jake Allen in there, man, especially after a, lo- a loss on opening night. Go out there, get a, get a win. Don't even, don't even risk going 0-2 to start the season and, you know, having to deal with that type of, that type of pressure. I, I, I would have, as a Montreal fan, if I was, would have wanted to see Jake Allen in there no matter what. Same could be said with Carey Price. Even, even if I, my duel was Carey Price and a Jake Allen, I would have wanted Jake, uh, Carey Price in back-to-back games. Yeah, I, I understand that. I think from where the Canadians are probably looking at it is Jake Allen is a guy who has struggled when he's had to carry the ball too often. Uh, he's really struggled as a starter. When he was in on the Blues, he struggled down the stretch last year when Carey Price was injured and he was concussed. So getting him as much rest as possible and not trying to burn him out right away in back-to-backs makes sense, even if they are you know 0-2 because of it. Although I thought Montemblanc, like, for a guy who gave up five goals, especially in the second period, I thought he was pretty great. And eventually he just couldn't stop everything anymore because... They were just allowing golden opportunity after golden opportunity. And I haven't seen the expected goals yet. I'm going to try to queue it up while uh, one of you guys are talking. But I assume no, that uh, but the Sabres just piled it on last or the time. And another thing, too, is when we're talking five on five, um, Buffalo won both battles on both sides of the ice in, uh, below the dots. Almost like I would say if I were to put a number on it, 90 percent of the time, like everything was just uncontested. You know, uh, with the exception of obviously the goal Weidman scored uh, there, I believe, uh, in the second period, just Buffalo had their way physically with Montreal tonight, and that's not something I'm used to saying as a Buffalo Sabres fan. But you know, you lost all all physical battles in front of your own net along the boards. Uh, Buffalo was winning loose puck battles left and right. You know, it's just like. You know, as I said earlier, I, I'm so used to seeing Buffalo not ready to play to, uh, from puck drop. That's how I felt about watching Montreal. They just didn't look ready. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, should we queue up some questions from the chat and the Discord here for you guys? We'll try to go rapid fire here to sure. close also, out the show. If if any um, Montreal fans need some emotional support. My dog's here, so I can I can bring her up at any point, so you can let them know if they need that. I mean, it might be a little bit early for needing emotional support, but you know what? If anybody needs it, Brock's here. How, for how many people have burned their Habs jersey tonight? <laughs> the passion I, is very strong here, and that it goes both positive and negative. I if love I have, it. If I haven't burnt my Sabres jerseys yet, I'm sorry. Habs fans should not be burning their jerseys. Can, All right. can I just point out that it's, it's also not a two-game losing streak they're on. They're on a six-game losing streak. Oh. <laughs> Is it? No, it's only three. They won game oh. four. Oh, sorry. I forgot they won one. <laughs> so did Nikita Kucherov. <laughs> All right. So uh, from Ash, I think this is something we actually covered a little bit is uh, the lack of creativity on the power play, especially on the five on three, a product of players or coaching or both. You know, they've changed coaches last year, right? They brought in Alex Burroughs. So I don't even know if it's coaching so much as it's like an organizational problem of being too conservative. I, I think that's where it lies more than just coaching. Coaching is an issue, obviously, because the coacher is still telling them what to do, what strategies to use, and the players are falling into familiar patterns on the power play. But 
I think it goes deeper than that. I think it's an organizational issue where they just don't understand that the way power plays work have changed, has changed. Uh, it's not 2008 anymore where you just funnel it up to like Shea Weber or Sheldon Sore or P.K. Subban for a blast from the point, and you don't have Andre Markov around to set it up anymore. You know, so you have to get down low. You have to get passes through the middle of the ice. Canadians need to figure it out. They've got the the players there. I don't think it's a you, personnel issue. Do you think they're too right-handed? I think they're they only have a couple of righties. Uh, I know Yoel Armia is only on the power play essentially because he is a right-handed guy that they can put on the left side. He gets on the second wave power play. The only issue is like Armia has a decent shot, but he doesn't have a one type. But so but who's on the first? Suzuki, Toffoli, Caulfield, Petrie. Yep. They're all right-handed. They all are. Well, I mean, what? I guess they right split them up. Again. What, is was, Gallagher on that one too? Yeah, I think so. They're all There's, righties on the first unit. They're all like that's yeah. I. It shouldn't make a difference. And, and honestly, I wish teams would go like if you look at Pittsburgh when everyone's healthy. There, there's no, it's positionless hockey. Everyone's flowing and moving. I, I don't understand why they get in these binary positions. I like positionless power plays. I think it, it forces the defense to move and scramble and, and really messes with things. Yeah, absolutely. All right, we got another one for from Habs fan for life. When Eb- Edmondson comes back, any chance Romanov heads to the AHL to get his confidence and toughness back? Because the first goal, he looked scared to block a shot, but still stayed in the screen. I mean, that kind of stuff, it's hard to analyze if somebody's scared or if they just misread the play. I think Romanov, the issue that I have with Romanov is that even when he's at his peak, the upside for me is not really there. We talked about it on the last episode as well. It, like, he needs to take a step, yes, but I just don't know where that step is going to be. Like, to me, he looks like at max, he's a third pairing defenseman. They need him to be more than that because they've failed to develop players. Uh, they've just their defense is all bought on the market, right? So, it when you have nobody coming up, like they do have defensive prospects, but do you have faith that they're going to develop them properly when they haven't been able to develop a good defenseman since like PK, who I would argue developed on his own? You know, like he was a sure thing, you know, and the Canadians, if anything, made him worse through coaching with Michel Therrien. So, it's it's tough to believe that, you know, Matthias Norlander is going to come in and, and change everything for them, even though he does seem to have immense talent. But they need somebody who can create from the back end. And Chris Weidman is fun, but I don't know if he's good defensively or good enough defensively to move up the lineup from the third pair. And that's pretty much all there is. You know, that's actually one of the issues we've had uh, here in Buffalo. You know, uh, you guys, too, when it comes to coaching, just the inconsistency um, behind your bench. I mean, Buffalo, we've been through – we're on our sixth head coach now since the Pagoulas have bought the organization in 10 years. That, that, that kind of turnover is insane. We're on our fourth GM. And then, obviously, when you have that kind of turnover in those positions, you're going to have turnover – that kind of turnover in your farm system. Um, it's so difficult, you know, to develop – uh, young players and get them ready to to play at the NHL level when you have that type of turnover in those in that in that position and you know speaking about Buffalo like you know you know from top to bottom our scouting department is one of the worst in the NHL uh, you know we have we've drafted terribly over the last decade um, and just we haven't had a lot of 
good young talent come through our farm system and compete and play well at the NHL level. And it's from what you're saying, it kind of sounds like you guys are having the same issues there, at least down in the minors. Like, you know, I don't know. I, again, I'm not too familiar with the ongoings of Montreal, you know, outside, you know, in, within your farm system, but it kind of sounds like you guys have the same issues. We've always, we've always had. Yeah. It's one of those situations where you wonder if it's the drafting or the development. And I know like Ellen Etchingham, who, if you guys don't follow, uh, it's a theory underscore of underscore ice on Twitter. Fantastic writer who just like kind of returned to writing this year after a long break while she was in Taiwan. And uh, she wrote a blistering article on Bergevin's tenure as uh, developing players because he has the same head scout as the Bob Gainey, uh, Pierre Gauthier regime did in Montreal. And the number of hits and players who like consistently play for the team in the NHL it's staggering how different it is from one regime to the other with the same scouts. So to me, that speaks of development. And I think a lot of people talked very well of Joel Bouchard the last couple of years, but we haven't seen that much coming out of his system yet either. And and he's moved on already. You know, he wanted the NHL job last year and they were like, well, we're going to go with Ducharme. He went to the Stanley Cup final, which fair may have not been the best decision, but we'll find out about that in time so uh we have one last question here and uh it's from boodles01 saying is it too soon to be switching up montreal's lines halfway through the second game of the season which is also a back-to-back i mean that's what happens when a coach panics but the one line that i would like to see switched up right away and unfortunately there's not a lot of uh like malleability in the lineup at the moment is Brendan Gallagher with Jake Evans. Uh, they moved Armia onto the fourth line tonight, and Armia actually had a pretty good night uh, away from, I guess, top competition. I guess that's what that line is doing. But uh, Brendan Gallagher is too good to be playing with Jake Evans. And I like Jake Evans, but he's a fourth-line center. And Gallagher, despite you know hand injury last year and struggling to score in the playoffs because his like hand straight-up didn't work and he couldn't shoot, is still the Montreal Canadiens' best forward. Like I think Nick Suzuki will eventually be that guy. Cole Caulfield could eventually be that guy. But right now, Brendan Gallagher is the Canadiens' best play driver. He's their best goal scorer. He's the guy that should be on a lot more often than he is and with players who can actually set him up. And I think this is where you see the loss of Phil Deneau is going to really hurt them because Phil Deneau's ability to forecheck meshed really well with Brendan Gallagher. And Phil Deneau was a very, very underrated playmaker, which allowed Gallagher to, to develop into more of a shooter than he was earlier in his career. So I think that uh, that's going to be something that might change pretty soon if they can find a way. My big thing this year, my bold prediction coming into the year, is that the Canadians are going to be the ones that trade for Jack Eichel. That would make yeah. sense. They, they, need, need that. they need a center. They need a number one center. They need a like, number one center. Suzuki's going to be a guy and I really like him and, and he's a good, like beyond hockey ability, great human being, but is he more of a one B two way than he is one a, you know what I mean? And then is Dvorak more of a two B? Like, yeah. You, you know, you need that, that, that guy to kind of, when, when, you need the goal. He's on the ice. He's winning the draw. He's, he's taking that shot. And I just don't see it here. Like, like, like 
it's tough. You probably need two top nine forwards and one or two top four D. <laughs> yeah, I mean the D is a mess, right? And losing Shea Weber is just such a you can't actually it's recover from team. that, right? Like it, it doesn't like unless if you're trading him, okay, fine, you can recover because you get assets back. But just to lose him to injury is just beyond brutal when you, you just can't replace that on the free market. You're not gonna sign a guy unless it's Dougie Hamilton, who they didn't sign, obviously, to replace a guy of that caliber. I, I think Jack Eichel would change the team fundamentally. And even if Nick Suzuki is a number one center, which I think he could be, having a guy like Jack Eichel there, it creates a like Marn, uh, a Matthews Tavares situation yes. for less money, right? Cros- Crosby, Malkin, you name exactly. it, Exactly. Right? Yeah. And, and that's what the elite teams have. And, and then Dvorak becomes your third-line guy. Yeah. And when Dvorak we, is paid like a third-line center, right? Like, his contract is extremely affordable. And now if he's setting up Gallagher, now, now you have a third-line that has punch. Yes. And Mike and, Hoffman coming back, right? Bingo. So now you have three lines that can score goals. But the issue is, how do you get Jack Eichel without giving up Suzuki or Caulfield or, you know, your next 10 first-round picks? There's yeah. That- that that's the thing too. Um, you know, a lot of speculation here in Buffalo is that they prefer to keep Jack out west if they can. Uh, they don't want to have to, you know, especially within the division. Um, they 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 prefer not to have to deal with him more often than not in the, during the season. At least that was a speculation coming actually directly from ownership. Um, but with that being said, I, I have to agree. One of the hardest things to do and we know about it very well here in Buffalo because we haven't had depth down the middle since the days of Breer and Drury and you know it it's so much easier to sustain success as a franchise when you have that depth down the middle and you have that you have that position locked up three scoring lines as you said like as you said Brock it's so difficult to to get as well as sustain. And if you guys can go out and make a deal for like Jack Eichel, granted, especially within the division, it'll cost you a lot, but that really, you know, takes your team up a level in terms of being able to compete and get yourself into a good position for a playoff spot. Absolutely. All right. We're going to wrap it up here. I want to say a special thanks to the mods moderating the chat. Uh, Will's out there pumping up shows that are upcoming, making sure everybody knows what's going on here. Uh, I don't know if you guys heard, but uh, Julian McKenzie and I on November 13th, after the Red Wings game, we're going to do the Hot One in Scotland live during a show. And I'm very excited, but at the same time terrified of this because I'm a medium spicy level guy. I don't know if I can handle it. I know it's going to be a lot of sweat, maybe some hiccups. Listen, I don't know. You know, come to Buffalo and have our wings and then come talk to me, man. Like, have you ever had chicken wings in Buffalo? Never been to Buffalo. Never been to Buffalo, man. I, I, you know, if you ever happen to find yourself down here and you want to sweat a little bit, I'll take you to the best hole in the wall places. Uh, some of the best wings in the country. But, but here's the thing: like, did he put this challenge out to you, or did you decide to do this? It was me. I'm, I'm the one who's Why? hurting myself on purpose for Why? the show. It's almost like being a people Buffalo will Sabres love fan. seeing us in it's content. Pain. Great content. And it's like being a Buffalo Sabres fan. I'm a masochist, apparently. I just learned this about myself. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Brock first and then Dwayne. Can you guys plug what you're doing right now and uh, let everybody know what's going on in your lives? Yeah, so I'm going around uh, speaking. I'm an LGBTQ plus activist, uh, first openly gay men's pro hockey player. So I traveled the world, well, Zoom now, speaking and, and 
do that kind of work and that fun stuff and um follow me on twitter brock underscore mcgillis and on instagram brock mcgillis 33 perfect Dwayne. Um, yeah, I just, you know, I work over here in Buffalo with Trainwreck Sports, but uh, my show at Two Goalies, One Mike, uh, had a lot of fun over the last year and a half. Um, me and my co-host, Johnny Cullen, actually also a uh, Windsor Spitfire alumni, Brock, uh, another former goalie from Windsor. Uh, me, on the other hand, it was not as successful. Uh, I'm an absolute plug now playing adult league, but yeah, we're having a lot of fun at Two Goalies, One Mike. Yeah, that's where you can find us on uh, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram even Facebook, uh, having a lot of fun. got a lot of good guests on tap, uh, here in the coming months. So looking forward, uh, maybe to this saber season. Absolutely. All right, guys. Thanks so much for doing this game over is going to be back Saturday night as the Habs take on the Rangers. I would maybe they'll actually win a game. We don't know. It'll be more fun. If they win a game, we'll actually get to talk about something fun. Thanks for joining us tonight. We'll see you then.